Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right, take your Bible and open to Genesis chapter 35. When we look at chapter 35 in Jacob's life, he's been on a journey, and really at the end of chapter 34, his life, his family is at a boiling point, which leads to a turning point by God. The definition of a turning point uh, is when a significant change occurs. Okay? Pretty simple definition. We got that down. We go back over our history, especially as a nation, there's lots and lots of turning points. An election can be a turning point. Um, a, a, a pandemic can be a turning point for not just our country, but for the world. I'm going to go back into the uh, history of our, uh, of our nation in the World War II, there was a significant turning point at the Battle of Midway. You'll remember your history. At that point, uh, Japan had really kind of owned us in the naval warfare, if you will. And uh, if they had won that battle, uh, it would have spelled uh, a very hard path forward, even harder than it was after Midway. But uh, at that point, uh, when our forces were victorious over Japan in the Battle of Midway, then that really became the turning point of that theater of the war. Of course, we could name lots of others, but when you get to a turning point, it's often uh, that you've been to a boiling point first. The boiling point, of course, is if you think about the water on your stove and you've turned up the heat, you start to see those little bubbles start rolling. That's not quite there, but when it's boiling, you've hit the boiling point and it's uh, lots and lots of activity, right? Um, that's kind of where Jacob's family is as we get into chapter 35. And God calls out to him uh, in chapter 35 one more time. And really he's saying, boy, it's time to get home. It's time to come home. It's time, time to change your direction and come home. So if you would stand with me as I read from chapter 35, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll finish in verse 15. God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you first fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Then they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their earrings, and Jacob hid them under the oak near Shechem. When they set out, a terror from God came over the cities around them, and they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Deborah, the one who had nursed and raised Rebekah, died and was buried under the oaks uh, south of Bethel. So Jacob named it Alan Bekuth. 
God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padam Aram and blessed him. God said, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at that place where he had spoken to him. Jacob set up a marker at that place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. And Jacob named that place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you call into our life, you speak out into our life, and you call us to come home. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace on Jacob's life and also in ours through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we walk through the word this morning, if there be any way, any sin in us, um, that uh, it would be cast out. Lord, that we would repent from that and turn away. Lord, if there's anything that's stealing our heart affection, our heart's affection from you and our worship from you, Lord, I pray that it would be set aside this morning and cast out. And Father, I pray as we leave this place that we would leave the changed people, having encountered our God and heard from him, answering, yes, Lord, here I am. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We see right off the bat in verse 1, God said to Jacob, get up and go. It's time to wake up. It's time to get up and get moving. This is the turning point. This is that, uh, that moment like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy. This is that moment uh, that after about 30 years prior to chapter 35, God had already met with Jacob once, as it says, when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. God had met Jacob in this place, this very place. So for 30 years, Jacob's been on the run. But in that meeting, Jacob received a dream from God. And in that dream, there was a ladder. You probably have heard that as Jacob's ladder. And on that ladder, there are angels ascending and descending. And from that dream, Jacob picked up that God was for him, that God was going to be his provider, that God was going to be his protector. And in light of that dream that's captured in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob made a vow. And I want you to turn to chapter 28, just a few pages over, and and read that vow with me or follow along as I read it. It starts in verse 20. In light of that vision from God, in light of that dream, this is the vow Jacob had made. Then Jacob made a vow, verse 20. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth that all all that you give me, of all that you give me. Okay? That's the vow. So from that moment, Jacob set out on this journey. It's a journey that took him to his uncle Laban. And there uh, he was deceived by his uncle, first with Leah, his first wife. It took him seven years. He he promised to work seven years uh, to to receive Rachel as his wife. But after that seven years, Laban tricked him and gave him Leah. He worked another seven years for Rachel. Finally, after that time, he, he received Rachel as his wife. And then there was another time that Laban just would not let him go, would not let go of Jacob and his family. And so he had been deceived for about 20 years. And then in Genesis chapter 31, God reminded Jacob, hey, it is time for you to go home. It is time for you to pick up and go. And so he gets away from Laban. He gets away, and now he's on his journey back 
but he knows that there's this dude named Esau, his brother, that he deceived out of the birthright. Remember that story, okay? He's afraid of Esau, but Esau has been, is forgiving. Esau, they meet, and Esau forgives his brother for all of the deception. Lots of great truth there about reconciliation, especially within the family. But from that point forward, he goes and he settles in a place called Shechem. Shechem is not where he met God. It is not Bethel. It's only about 20 miles away. So from here to maybe Ingleside, right? It's like just 20 miles away. He was that close. A couple more days of journey, and he would have made it to Bethel. But he settled in Shechem. Not quite where he was supposed to go, but almost there. And so that's chapter 34. And in chapter 34, this is where we really find this this mentality of, I'll do it my way obedience. (laughs) Like, when we say, yes, Lord, I'm here, good. God says, go. Okay, Lord, I'm going to do it my way, not following your steps that you've laid out, right? That's what Jacob is doing. I'll do it my way, obedience. But that brought a lot of heartache on Jacob and his family. Friends, when we're not walking in obedience, walking in Christ, there is something bound to go wrong because we're not in the middle of his will for our life. If you are in the middle of God's will, you will not go wrong, okay? God's will is never wrong. But that's the boiling point. And this is where God speaks into Jacob's life going into chapter 35. When I was reading through chapter 34, thinking of I'll do it my way, obedience, I thought of Sinatra's song, I did it my way, right? Well, if you read chapter 34, it's a tragic chapter. It's tragic because Jacob's daughter Dinah is is ransacked by the men of Shechem. They take her, they have her away with her, and then they want to marry her. And it's just awful. But then, in retribution and revenge, two of Jacob's sons take it upon themselves to exact revenge against the men of Shechem. And it leads to a massacre. And it's left Jacob's family. Really, what you see in verse 5 is that, excuse me, it's not verse 5. It's back up in chapter 34. At the end of chapter 34, that Jacob's sons have left the reputation of Jacob's family as a stench and the people of Shechem. It's really a tragic chapter. But then, again, this but God moment, if not for the word of God, if not for the call of God on Jacob's life, when he says, Jacob, get up. It's time to go back to Bethel. It's time to go. Folks, when God speaks to us, we need to have that uh, that heart, that mindset like little Samuel did when God called out to him, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What have you to say to me today? Do you mean it when you say that? Speak, Lord, for you are listening. When God speaks to us, it could be one of those but God moments where he's intervening and calling us. Here is the direction you need to be going. You're going the wrong way, but here is a moment. Here's a turning point for you. And he offers it to us by his grace and his mercy. Get up and go to Bethel. Build the altar where I appeared to you for the first time. You were fleeting and running away from Esau. And so uh, Jacob takes this journey. Jacob's journey begins in verse 2, and he's not necessarily out on the road walking and traveling. He's talking to his family, taking some leadership of his family. When God calls, it is a turning point. It's a time to respond in obedience, and we see Jacob doing that as he calls his family to rid themselves of the idols. Jacob knew there had to be some changes in the family if they were going to go back to Bethel and meet with God again and worship him there. There's got to be some changes. How does he know that? Because the heat's been turned up. You see the evidence of the boiling point in chapter 34. Rachel, his wife, had stolen some 
idols from her father. There's a, another chapter, another part of the story that we've been reading through this week that, that we saw where Rachel had taken the idols. So those idols are a part of the family. If you read through chapter 34, you see that Jacob's sons took the gold and silver idols from Shechem. No, no doubt those are now a part of the family. They have really become more like the people around them rather than the chosen family that God is working through to bring about this blessing. So Jacob knew there had to be some changes in the family if they were going to follow the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Friends, today, when Christ calls you to be a part with Jesus and put your trust in him, there's going to be some changes in your life that happen. And here's some of those changes. He says, get rid of the idols. Get rid of the idols. Then he says, purify yourselves. Get rid of those foreign gods and purify yourself. Now, they'd spent a whole lot of time with these pagan people around them. Certainly, their influence had worn off on Jacob and his family, as I again point to chapter 34 as the evidence of that. But it says, purify yourselves. Like a taking a bath with his, on the outside, symbolically there, it's got to be what's happening on the inside. They had set up the Shechemites. This is one of the gravest parts of chapter 34. One of the worst parts of that story is that Jacob's sons set up the Shechemites using the covenant sign that God had given to Abraham that would specially mark his people as different than the rest of the world. They used that covenant sign as a decoy. You see, the Shechemites wanted to start marrying the, the, the daughters of Jacob. And the boys, of, uh, the boys of Jacob said, you guys got to get circumcised. Well, you can imagine, as those men are recovering, that's when Jacob's sons attack. You see how that, that's just, that's just a it's deception. It runs in the family. And then he said, you got to change your clothes. You got you to change your clothes. There are moments later in Israel's history where Aaron has to change his clothes before he goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Right? Again, symbolically, it's picturing what is happening on the inside as being taken off and clothing ourselves with something new and fresh and holy as we step into the presence of God. And then he says, it's time to get up and go. Build an altar. It's time to worship. Now we're ready to worship the Lord at the house of God. That's what Bethel means. Now we're ready to worship the Lord at the house of God known as Bethel. And so Jacob's family goes through this cleansing process. They're ready to move out. And God goes before them. You'll notice in verse 5, when they set out a terror from God, came over all the cities around them, and they did not pursue Jacob and his children. God is going before them, just as he will go before Israel, coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And as they arrive in Bethel, Jacob does just what God told him to do, and just what he committed to do, which was to build an altar and worship the Lord. At the very same location, an encounter that God had with him the first time when he was trying to escape. Now, Jacob and his family, having returned, can offer sacrifices and call on the name of God in the middle of the land of Canaan, where all the pagan peoples are worshiping their foreign gods and the false gods and false deities. Now, the name of the one true and living God will be exalted by Jacob and his family. And then we see God's blessing in verse 9. Not to skip over verse 8. It's important. It's what you want to see in verse 8. This is a little side note. This is free, okay? You don't have to give an offering for verse 8. This is free. That, what we see there is a change in generation happening, okay? Rebecca is Isaac's, uh, Jacob's uh, grandmother. No, excuse me, mother, okay? It's the death of a generation going off, all right? 
So now Jacob, it's Jacob and his family. Verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again, and he returned from Padam Aram, and he blessed him. Here is God's blessing. Okay? So what we want to see here is that God has called Jacob to go back. It's time to come home. It's time to clean up and get your act straight. All right? So here he is. Family, we got to get rid of the idols. we got to purify ourselves. we got to change our clothes. we got to go back to Bethel so we can worship the Lord. We're back here. We've worshiped the Lord. Here comes God's blessing. Again, we need to understand that Jacob does not deserve this. Neither do we. But he blesses him. And it's very similar to what he said before. Back in verse 10, he says, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Anytime we see a name change in scripture, we need to pay attention to that because there is a but God moment here happening as God is transitioning Jacob into the next part of his life. The worship and obedience of Jacob, followed by one more time an appearance of the Lord. And God renews that covenant, the covenant that he gave to his grandpa generation, a couple of generations ago. His grandpa would be Abraham, right? His home is rid of the foreign idols. His, his children, his family is clean. They've changed their clothes. And now God says, you are no longer Jacob. You are no longer the deceiver or heel catcher. Now your name is Israel. God's fighter or the one who strives with God. Your name has changed. In chapter 32, God changed his name then from Jacob to Israel. Here again, it's reinstated. And Jacob Jacob knew if this God is going to be the God of Abraham and Isaac, if he's going to be the God of Jacob, we've got to listen to him. And God is changing here Jacob. He's changing his, transforming him from the inside out. His character, he's changing his future. This is what God does when we come to Christ. He transforms us from the old into the new, into the Christ follower, to become more like Jesus. And then we have this restatement of this covenant promise that he made to Abram. Here it is one more time. He says in verse 11, I am God Almighty. You've heard that before. That name there is El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am the one. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, is going to come from you. Kings will descend from you. Everything I gave to Abraham and Isaac, it's also going to be yours. Why does he start with El Shaddai? So that Jacob would remember that this God who's calling on him, who's calling him to go back to Bethel or come back to Bethel, this God is the God who can do exactly what he's promised. No doubt he heard the story from Isaac how Grandpa bound me up and laid me on an altar and was going to sacrifice me until God rescued me. No doubt he heard that story. He knew exactly who this God was, at least to the fullest extent that he could know at that point. But years and generations later, out of this promise, out of this moment, this covenant, kings like David will come along, Solomon will come along, and many others, leading us to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of the Jews, Jesus Christ himself, will come out of this covenant. Listen, what we understand here, you can read chapter 34 sometime, and you'll think, wow, this dude didn't deserve a thing God has given him. And guess what? Neither do we. God's love is not fickle. His love is steadfast and secure. His love is firm. His love is not a a fair weather fan that's going to love you when you're winning and hate you when you're losing. He's going to love you all the time. He loved Jacob. He had committed to Jacob when he promised Abraham that he would bless, that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. Jacob is a part of that. His grace and his mercy drive the love of God, and the love of God drive his grace and mercy and his wrath and every other characteristic that God is. Everything is driven by God and exactly who he is. And at this moment, this is a significant moment for Jacob. 
Jacob builds another marker, yet another stone marker, where he will remember the moment that God spoke to him. And it's a significant thing for Jacob as he anoints it with oil and, 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 and pours the wine over it. This memorial marker for him. One more time, he names it the house of God. This is where I, God has met with me. You have places like that in, in your life. One of those for me would be Zephyr uh, Baptist Encampment just up the road off of Lake Corpus Christi. That's the first place I remember God ever speaking to me about going into ministry. Some of the other places like that would be my home church, First Baptist George West. But even beyond that, Glorietta Conference Center, where God called me yet again, would renew that call on my life time and time again. We have these places like this that God has spoken to us, and we remember those moments. Those moments are turning points for us, too. That's what we pull out of this this morning, that there are turning points for us when God speaks to us, because there are, there's going to come, if not already, a time in your life where you're at a boiling point. And that boiling point, uh, all that stuff could feel like quicksand, like you're stuck in, a, in the muck and the mire and, and, and you, you can't seem to find a way out. All that muck and mire is sin and the corruption that's all around us. And you may feel like there's no hope. Where's my deliverance? Where will my help come from? And then that's when the scriptures say, but my eyes, my eyes look. We look to the hills. That's where our help comes from. Our God, our almighty God, El Shaddai, the one named Jesus Christ, he comes and he helps us. This is our boiling point, yet turning point when God speaks into our life. These are the moments when God says, my friend, my child, here is a way out. Here is a way out. That time of revival, that time of renewal, led by purification, led by repentance of sin, from sin and walking away from it. That's the call of God upon Jacob, and it's the call of God upon our life. This morning, he's telling you, hey, wake up. It's time to get up and come back to Bethel. It's time for God's word to reveal to you that we're walking in darkness, and that's not what it is to be a Christian. We're not to walk in darkness. We're to walk in the light. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Hear what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5. Just a real quick understanding here. He's not writing Ephesians to lost people, okay? Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus, all right? We need to remember this is to the church. This is to people who believe and have called on the name of the Lord and are following him. He says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once in darkness, excuse me, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and faith and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a call to the church, as it is for Jacob, to wake up and come back to life. Wake up and rise from the dead so that Christ will shine on you. Right? This isn't so that we look all glittery and sparkly to the world and say, hey, I want to follow that guy that's up on stage every week. No, we are to reflect Christ. He shines on us so that he, the world, will know that he is the one, the one true living son of God, that he is the one that offers grace and mercy, that he is the one that will offer a new life. 
He shines on us, and when he shines on us, it's not that we're also just reflecting him to the world, but more than that, he's shining into our own darkness, right? He says, you were darkness. You were over here. That light shines in, and it reveals things to us. Just as Jacob said, wait a minute, God's calling me to go back to Bethel. There's some things we got to get right. We got to get rid of the gods. We got to get rid of the foreign gods. We got to purify ourselves. We got to change our clothes. What does that look like for us? Well, he says, wake up and go. Paul says, be alert. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. God's wrath is coming. We need to understand that. It is coming. We don't like to admit. We don't like to think about God's wrath. It sounds so harsh and awful. And guess what? It will be harsh and awful. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. It's going to be awful. This is why it's time to wake up and go. Be alert because there's plenty of people who will deceive you. There's lots of false gospels floating around out there. The one true gospel is about Jesus Christ and that he has died to forgive you of your sins and his blood cleanses you from that sin and that God raised him back on the third day so that you could walk in new life. But friend, God's wrath is coming. He also says, don't walk in darkness. You were darkness, but you can't do that anymore. Friends, too many in the church are walking in the light and walking in darkness. And what does that look like? It looks like Jacob's family. That's what it looks like. Here's Jacob, a man of God who's been called by God. He's been promised things from God, and yet his family looks like the world. They're living in both worlds. they got one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and you can't do that. You can't ride the fence. He says, walk in the light, not in the darkness. You were like that, but you don't have to be that anymore. Now you're called to live as the light, the light of Christ. In fact, that's the command of that passage. Walk as children of the light. Everything is exposed when you wake up and you get up. You know, maybe you've had this experience in your home when the light comes on in the first thing in the morning and there's wailing and gnashing of teeth by children. It's not a fun experience, is it? It kind of hurts. Those eyes are not ready for that bright light, kind of like being up here. You know, and then you've always got the one kid out of nine that loves to wake up before the sun. Yeah. And then suddenly the parents are the ones wailing and gnashing of teeth going on. Go back to bed. All right. The call is to wake up and go. Here's the call of God's word. You ready? Listen to this. It's not just an Ephesian. It's not just to Jacob. It's all over the word of God. Joel chapter 2. Even now, God says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. (sighs) Here's the best part. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Friend, if you want to avoid the wrath of God, turn. Turn back to him. He's slow and he's patient, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, overflowing with love. That's who our God is. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked one abandon his way. And the sinful one, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him. Mm. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. Paul continues by telling the church to not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but rather expose them for what they are. Let Christ shine on you. But you got to wake up. you got to hear his call to wake up. He's sounding the alarm. Friends, the glory of God as the church, the glory of God is our primary concern always. That we bring him glory. 
as we keep his mission as our focus, that we are called to make disciples that make disciples who glorify God. We gotta keep that in mind. Now, if you hear the call of God this morning, you hear the word of God saying, turn to me with all of your heart. Friend, do not delay. Now is the time. This is the next step. Jacob had to get rid of the idols. So do we. That looks like a confession of sin and repentance. Pastor, I don't have any idols. Well, think again. Think again. An idol is anything or anyone that displaces the one true God in your heart and mind. Anything that takes your heart's affection and your love takes first place over God. Whatever you hold most dear, whatever occupies your mind, whatever occupies your energy, more than God, that's going to be an idol for you. And if it's not the triune God that occupies number one and nothing else, if it's not the triune God of the Bible, then it's an idol. And it needs to be getting rid of. It's tough to hear. But you need to understand there is no second place for God. He doesn't play second fiddle. And he doesn't need a second fiddle. He plays it all by himself. But in Jacob's family, there were lots of gods. And they had to be getting rid of. John Calvin mentioned uh, many, many, many moons ago that the human mind is a factory of idols. Just give us a few moments and we'll come up with another one. Just give us a few moments and we'll find something else to occupy our mind, whether it be lust or status or power, particular way of life, possessions, nature, the environment. Listen, it could be any number of things. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. I've seen that happen. It could be our social status is on being approved on Facebook becomes an idol. So we got to dress it up so everybody gives me likes instead of the angry face. We can make an idol out of anything. Even, even we can make an idol out of the church. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that we in the church had made a, an idol out of our preferences rather than our priorities. That all that we held dear was stripped away. All the things that we thought about were so important to us. We got to have them back. Friends, I, I mean, I've heard stories this week of pastors who were blamed for people in the church's death because the pastor didn't enforce a mask mandate. This is nuts. It's nuts. It shows ex exactly where our hearts are. That we are a church of preferences and not priorities. Folks, we got to keep the priority, the number one thing, God's glory. Listen, Ecclesiastes, if you'll read that, it'll show you some idols. It'll show you some preferences other than priorities. He makes it very clear where the preacher is writing at, and he says, there's some good things out there that we can chase. He gives us a long list from chapter 1 to chapter 12. He looks at it for work, for status, for money, so many other things, and he boils it down at the very beginning in verse 14 of the first chapter. He says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a chasing after the wind. Now, I would have liked to have seen some of y'all chasing the wind yesterday when it was blowing 100 miles an hour through here. Mercy. You need anything sandblasted, just go stick it outside for a few minutes. You're going to get it done. But you understand how futile that is. You're not going to catch it. The command of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, and he just understands God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
Friend, if you have some idols this morning, they need to be buried under the oak tree of Shechem. You need to take them out and let them go. Third thing Jacob said was purify yourselves. And that's exactly what Paul is calling us to, to not walk in darkness, but in the light. For Jacob's family, it was an outward washing, this bath. That outward act is supposed to reflect what's happening in here on the inside, that the heart would be made right. Did you know King David, years later in Psalm 51, after he got caught in sin with Bathsheba, would cry out, Lord, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He knew who did the work. It wasn't David that did the work. It was God doing the work in him to clean him up. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah would say this, let's settle this. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Purity comes when we repent of that sin with the intention of never returning. You know, David, uh, not David, I believe it's Paul, actually, maybe one of the other writers. This is just off the top of my head. One of the other writers would return, uh, would say, you know, you, you, you turn away from your sin and go back. But eventually when you turn back, that's nothing different than a dog returning to its vomit. You ever read that scripture? That's disgusting. Repentance is turning away with never intending to go back, never looking back. That's what repentance is. That work of sanctification in our life. It's a process whereby God is at work in us to make us pure, having freed us from sin, making us holy, making us look more like Christ. It is an instantaneous thing, and yet it is also a lifelong process. And Paul was calling the church at Ephesus in chapter 5 to walk in the light. He's calling the church there again. This is the work of sanctification. We are on this journey. And walking in the light is that process of leaving the darkness and walking with Christ on the way forward. Then he says, uh, fourth thing he says, change your clothes. Again, Paul would, would urge the church, the Romans and several others, he would urge them, put on the Lord Jesus. We change our clothes. That's a depiction of new life. You change your clothes. Isn't it nice to get a new shirt every now and then? I I got me a new uh, Aloha shirt last week. I wore it last Sunday. I love those things, man. Y'all don't know what you're missing. You wear your fishing shirts all you want to, but you put on that Aloha shirt, woo, yeah, right? But it's nice to put on something new, right? You want to dress up. You want to look nice. You want to present a good picture, Man, but so much more important is putting on the Lord Jesus. Jacob and his family changed their clothes because the old was dirty and stained and defiled. Again, just read chapter 34. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But in Christ, the old self is gone. The new is come. Paul would also write in Ephesians, it's not how you came to know Christ, He says, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. You've got to change those clothes. He wrote to the church in Galatia. He said, Those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. This is the work of Christ by his grace and his mercy for us. And we are called to respond. And I pray this morning, if you hear the call of God, get up. It's time to come home to Bethel. It's time to come to the house of God. 
that you will respond in faith. Get up. Purify yourself. Change your clothes. It's time to go home.